was April 1st, 1984, when I was sitting home, it was April Fool's Day. I didn't even know anything was wrong because when you use drugs and you get, you know, you have the withdrawal symptoms. Then I got home, uh, it was more of a spiritual bottom. I call it the elevator strategy. You can be on the penthouse and you don't have to wait till you get to the sub-basement. You can just know that you start out at the penthouse and now you're on the 10th floor. You can get out because you know where it's going. I've heard it a lot in recovery circles. You get sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was looking for someone to throw me a lifeline and he showed up clean and sober and I looked at him and I've never had an experience with somebody who had the same issue I had that was clean and sober not using. So that's when it happened. There was hope. There was a way, way out. So you found yourself working with some of the greatest basketball players that ever lived. What was it that you were bringing to what they were doing? Helping them know themselves so they can be themselves, so they can express themselves, so they can share themselves. There's a relationship between being authentically your unique coming out of your own unique potentialities. But being who you are, your unique self, in a world where everybody's trying to tell you who you should be or who they want you to be, that it takes a lot just to be able to say, I'm gonna be me and I'm gonna embrace my greatness, find the flow and discover success. That's what it comes down to. So that's pretty much what I do with everybody is just to help them embrace their greatness and find the flow. My name's Dr. Gary Crotez, and I'm a coach, podcaster, and award-winning author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their unlock moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life. And you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, how they got through the hard times and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlock Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. Now, if you've been with me from the start on this incredible podcast journey with the Unlock Moment, you'll remember right back in episode four, my conversation with my good friends and world silver medalist professional ballroom dancers, Nazar Bati and Mariko Cantley, talking about the day they found a new perspective on balance in a dance studio in Italy. Well, I saw Nazar and Mariko recently and they said, you really should have George on your podcast. It transpired that this George they were talking about was world-renowned sports and executive performance mindfulness coach, George Mumford, whose new book, coincidentally, is called Unlocked. George is a globally recognized speaker, teacher, and coach. Since 1989, he's been honing his groundbreaking performance mindfulness techniques with people from locker rooms to boardrooms, Yale to jail. He's worked at the highest levels in elite basketball. Michael Jordan credits George with transforming his on-court leadership, and he has also worked with the late Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, and countless other NBA players, Olympians, executives, and artists. Kobe Bryant said, 
George helped me understand the art of mindfulness, to be neither distracted or focused, rigid or flexible, passive or aggressive. I learned just to be. George's first book, The Mindful Athlete, Secrets to Pure Performance, is a memoir, an instruction guide to accessing your inner masterpiece. His new book, Unlocked, Embrace Your Greatness, Find the Flow, Discover Success, was just published by HarperCollins in May. While at the University of Massachusetts, where he roomed with future Hall of Famer Julius Irving, injuries forced Mumford out of basketball and into addiction to pain medication and drugs. With the help of meditation and mindfulness, he got clean and made it his mission to teach and work with others. When you meet someone with this kind of client list, you know it's time to sit back, listen and learn. But there's also this real depth to George's personal story. And I can't wait to hear more. George Mumford, it is my very great pleasure to welcome you to the Unlock Moment. Thank you, uh, Dr. Gary. Uh, I'm not sure how I should uh, refer to you, Gary or Dr. G or whatever. Gary is absolutely fine. <laughs> Gary is good. So, yes. So, yeah, I feel like uh, we're on that, that, you know, affinity level. I can call you Gary. Perfect. So I appreciate appreciate that. Yeah, and I can't, it's amazing that the name of your podcast is Unlocked Moment. It kind of corresponds with my book, Unlocked. It's perfect. So hopefully we're going to have lot, lots in common as we go through. Yes, yes. So let's start off with this one. Touching on your work with Nazara Mariko, is the performance mindset for elite ballroom dancing much different from the one that you need for elite basketball? The context is different, but the principles are the same. Mm-hmm. And one thing I love about principles is they're universal, they're timeless, and they're self-evident, which means when you violate the principle, you get out of, you, you get offline, you, you can see it and you can get back online. So it's the same. It's about being able to perform. And performance can be anything from having an intention and being able to execute it, or it could be the pivotal moment in the Olympics the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. It only takes a second. It only takes a moment. So it's really more about being able to have your action and your intention aligned. So you're able to do what you say you can do. And the hope is to have it be coming out of your authentic self so that you're being sincere. You're honestly expressing yourself. Bruce Lee said that martial arts is this idea of to honestly express yourself. So you have an intention and you're able to express it in a way that you feel like uh, you're in alignment and it just feels amazing. You feel fully alive. I love that. Now, beginnings are really important. And I'd love to know, where do we need to start in your story to understand the person you are today? That's a good question. There's this debate about nurture or nature, mm-hmm. right? We, we talk about that. But I think... I began my journey once I acknowledged or accepted the fact that I have a masterpiece within, that I have greatness within, and that I needed to connect with that energy, that power source, uh, that higher power, higher consciousness. And so that's when my journey began. And so even though I have memory, I have experiences, and there's times when I go back in the past where I had a moment of clarity or a moment of being unlocked, and I was able to see things really clearly. I remember when I was a young, young boy, I don't know what age, but I was in the room and the sun was coming in and I saw all the dust particles kind of dropping down and I, and I could kind of, kind of see that. And it was interesting. I was just really curious, but I think it's really just understanding that there's a way 
of relating to myself where I feel most fully alive and and feel like, yeah, this is this is who I am. And so it's that. Um, how do I want to say it? So there are many different times, but I think the more I know it, the more I embrace it, the stronger it gets and it becomes more of a way of being and not not a habit. So so that I'm I'm wired for success. And it's just a matter of me being able to see clearly and get really clear about where, what I'm doing and who I'm being. And in that moment, then there's the self-expression. So it's a, it's a continual process of becoming, I would say. Mm-hmm. I was reading a book. He said um, some interesting things. He says, you don't go to heaven, you grow to heaven. Mm-hmm. And I would say heaven is within, right? If you want to call it that or whatever you want to call it. But it's also this idea that, um, that yeah, we, we have this ability, man, to, you know, what we hold in mind, uh, we, we manifest. So we become what you think about. That idea of feeling fully alive. When you were growing up, when you were like a teenager, was, were there times when you, you think back and you think, that was a moment when I really felt fully alive? Yes. When I actually, yeah, I was a couple of times when I was playing basketball. This one week I was in I was in a zone for one week and I was just playing out of my mind. And that was amazing. But actually the, it happened before that. I might have been anywhere between nine and eleven. And we were all at a friend's house. It's more like a group flow experience. We had this football game and the electric football. So they had these little things at the bottom of the feet of the figurines. And you turn it on and they vibrate. And you know, good luck with them going forward instead of backwards <laughs> or whatever. But it was just a magical moment where this world opened up and I saw this this uh, new experience and we were fully engaged and it was new, exciting, and it was just magical. Mm-hmm. And I think I was maybe between nine and 11 when, when I had that experience. So there's been, I, when I reflect back on them, and here's the interesting thing, that we all have had a lot of those experiences because we don't recognize them and we don't think about them in that way, we don't really get to understand, oh, that was an amazing moment. And usually a true understanding comes from reflecting on experience. It's only by looking back, knowing what I know now, and I realize, oh, wow, I, I was in the flow. I was in the zone. It just felt really good and things were just happening. It's like I wasn't there. Self-consciousness was not there. Uh, so yes, so there, there's a lot of moments. And actually, Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi, the guy that wrote the book, you know, talks about flow and uh, some people might call him the godfather of flow. He used to have what he called the ESM sampling method. So this is how old this is. Every, he gave people pagers. And so at a, at a time during the day, they would just get a page. And when they got the page, they were supposed to write down what they were doing, how they felt about it, all of these, so that they actually could capture the experience. And he realized that a lot of people were in flow a lot more than they thought they were. They just didn't know how to identify it. So he learned a lot. That's how he, he learned a lot about it, by by getting his research from people having everyday experiences, not necessarily athletes, not necessarily surgeons or dancers, but everyday people. Whatever they were doing, they had a report on you know what they were doing and the the – I guess, the variables that were involved in that process, you know, the collectible data points. I find flow state 
so interesting because particularly in the context of sports, because if you want to know what flow states feels like, you need to inhabit a Shaquille O'Neal or a Nazara Mariko, you know, somebody who's a really elite sports person who is just individually or with their team, just in, in that in that moment where they're not thinking and it's just happening at a really, really high level. But it's so difficult to be at that level. You can't inhabit what it feels like to be Usain Bolt running his 100 meters. But for him, he knows exactly what that feels like. And so often when I'm working with people and talking to people about flow state, they find it sometimes difficult to think of a moment where they've really been in that, in that place. How do you help people to find a flow state where it's not something that's necessarily so natural to them to do that? Yes, that's a very good question. So it's usually, it's interesting because sports, you can see it because sports are, are well-defined. There's a beginning, middle, and end. If whether you're dancing or doing something, there's a beginning, middle, and end. And then you're in this process, especially if you're competing, where you have this feedback loop where, where you know, you, you have a clear goals, you get immediate feedback, and then you have that, that ratio between high challenges and high ability, skills, knowledge, and experience. And so you, you, you know that. And the challenge is if you try to get in the flow, you won't. And so you talk to them about the experience of what happens when you're in flow. Well, you lose self-consciousness. Yeah, time is altered. And, and there's an effortless effort that's happening. Something's happening without you having to consciously do it. And there's a premonition. You kind of know things before you know it. So there's certain qualities, characteristics of being in flow. And so once you identify those, then you can start to recognize, oh, I'm in flow or, you know, wow, I was just doing this for two hours and it felt like five minutes. And I wasn't there. There wasn't this focus on how am I doing and this self-reference. It was just an ability where action and intention uh, kind of meld. They become one. And, and things happen. I was uh, listening back to a podcast episode recently that I'd recorded, and I couldn't remember the conversation. It was very interesting. I'd remembered about 10% of the conversation. I was listening to the rest of it going, this is really interesting. I don't remember having this conversation. But I think yeah. what it reflected was just in that moment, I was just there. I was just present with the person. I wasn't locking into memory. I was just having yes. a conversation with the person. That's exactly right. And that's one reason why I record everything. <laughs> And, and when I listen to things, especially when, when I give a presentation or whatever, like I'll listen to this at some point. It's interesting, whether I'm writing something or I'm, li or I'm talking, when I go back and reflect on it, and I say, whoa, where'd that come from? That's pretty good. So that is in the, interesting because on the from a psychological point of view, uh, a, a word that, that resembles flow to some degree is spontaneity. Mm. And when you're in flow, you're being spontaneous. You have no idea what you're going to do. You're just making it up as you go along or you're just going with the flow, uh, how things are flowing. It's like you're um, in a river or in the ocean and the, and, the, and the current is just taking you and you just go. You don't have to do anything. You can just be in the current and it carries you. Mm. That's a really nice metaphor for, for what it feels like. Now, I know you've written a lot about this in, in your new book, Unlocked. A lot of your, your journey has been defined by your own personal experience with drugs. W where did it first start, your relationship with drugs and addiction? 
because I was always in pain. You know, I had a GI problems that was stress related. I was injury prone, so I was always on crutches or having something to do with my legs or knees or back. And I noticed that, you know, in those days they used to prescribe what they called Davon. And and I noticed that when I took that, uh, there was, you know, I wasn't so inhibited and I was, it was easier to talk to people, get out of myself and you had a feeling of euphoria. And so that's when it started. And then, you know, my father was an alcoholic, so there was always booze around. So, you know, so that was accessible. You know, your, your role model was drinking. So I wonder what that's like, you know, that sort of thing. So it kind of grew and it did has a, has a life of his own where I had the discipline not to engage in stuff. Well, of course, when I'm injured and I was injured a lot, I was under the influence. And then I started using recreationally. And then it, and then for a long time, you have the illusion of control because I'm able to go a long time without it during basketball season with, with not, not needing to alter my consciousness in that way. Then at some point you cross a line and you realize you have to do it. It's a, it's an impulse. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a condition. And it starts off, and a lot of people I understand have that experience mm. of getting addicted to pain meds for one reason or, or another, and then they go to street drugs because at some point the doctor's going to take you off. Mm. Yeah, so it's it's really a desire to not be here, a desire to not be present, you know, to be somewhere else. So that's interesting. In the book, you use this phrase, addiction is a creeping thing. Which I thought it was actually yes. a really powerful phrase. Tell me what a creeping thing is for you. Yes, a creeping thing is like walking in the mist. And when you first get in the mist, it doesn't seem like much, but if you've been out there for a period of time, a significant period of time, you're soaking wet. But it's not raining. It's not like there's a downpour and you can recognize, oh, this is how I'm wet. It's a gradual, creepy thing. You don't even know it's happening, but it's happening, and you're moving towards that that abyss uh, without knowing it because it's unconscious. So it's a creeping thing. It just sneaks up on you. You don't even know it's there. And when was it that you felt that you really hit bottom? Where were you at that point? Well, it was, it was April 1st, 1984, when I was sitting home. It was April Fool's Day. and I had just been in a hospital for a week, maybe a week or two. Maybe it was closer to that, but somewhere in the vicinity. It was in March. I was in a hospital. I had a strep infection, and I was riding around with a 104-degree temperature. Didn't even know anything was wrong because when you use drugs and you get, you know, you have the, uh, you know, withdrawal symptoms, uh, it feels like a, you know, uh, initially as like a flu or or something so you're hot you know you get hot cold you, you go through all these things you can't sleep and so when I went to the hospital and they treated me for that then I got home I was just uh, it was more of a spiritual bottom I call it the elevator strategy you can be on a penthouse and you don't have to wait till you get to the sub basement you can just know that you're you start out at the penthouse and now you're on the 10th floor you can get out because you know where it's going. And so I got to a place where I was, I've heard it a lot in recovery circles. You get sick and tired of being sick and tired. You can't stop and you can't quit. 
you, you want to stop, but you can't, basically. And that's when you hit bottom, when just couldn't keep doing it. And then when you think about being tired of being sick and tired, it's almost like my friend that came by and took me to a meeting. The timing was right because I was ready. I was looking for Oasis. I was looking for someone to throw me a lifeline. And he showed up clean and sober. And I looked at him and I've never had an experience with somebody who had the same issue I had that was clean and sober, not using. Hmm. So that's when it happened. So I'd say April uh, you know, 1st, 1984. And then I went to the meeting and something changed. And, and you know, it took me another three months before I got into a detox. But yeah, I, I, there, was a, there was hope. There was a way, way out. And you've written about the day you left detox. Yes. So I would say they talk about you learn more. I believe it. You learn more in beginnings and endings. So the more things we can begin and end, you learn a lot about it. So going in there, there was this voice that said to me, the same George that goes in can't come out. If that George comes out, we got a problem. And sure enough, when I left the detox, then whether they connected or not, I suspect they are. When I left the detox, I was a different person and I was seeing things differently. So I felt like I was I was living in fantasy for a lot of the time or kind of quasi fantasy, but not really open to seeing things as they were. And so when I left the detox, I saw everything was different because I'm different. That's the interesting thing about it. When I change how I see myself, how I see things, and I see it from a different perspective, that changes what I'm what is in my vision, my view. And so I changed. And so I saw things that I hadn't seen. I was just thinking about this the other day. I actually would, would go out at lunchtime and go to this park and just take pictures of the leaves, especially in the spring and the autumn when they were changing. So where did that happen? I had, you know, it was just this idea of seeing things and wanting to understand things more. So that might be a moment of being unlocked if you mm-hmm. really think about it, where, cause I was just thinking about it. Wow. How did that happen? And I was just taking photographs. I was just fascinated because I was seeing things differently mm-hmm. and being able to see things. And, and they say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So there's something about when you can, when your mind opens and your heart opens, then you start to see the vividness of life all around you, especially in nature. It's just beaming with, with life and, and lessons and, and colors and textures and sounds and, and just, just so, Going from being locked up and, and just really not going out there, being able to open up and to experience the world in its own terms. And that was really challenging. It actually shocked my nervous system. I remember going to a physician and he's asking me, he said, you know, your, your body has to get acclimated to being in, you know, in, in the world in life's terms without hiding out. That's it's so interesting the way you describe that. One of the things that I've, I find people talking about when they talk about what I think of as really a true unlock moment, you know, you're thinking back that many years, but in your mind, that image is so vivid. It's, it's not a moment of necessarily doing something. It's not necessarily a moment of deciding something. It's a moment of knowing something. It's a moment of awareness. You say that vivid awareness. And then you said something really, really interesting, which is you, you described the vividness. And in my mind, I was imagining something positive and and sort of emotional and maybe exciting and and you said it was really challenging to you 
actually that vividness to bring that to life more so why why was it so challenging in that moment because it was new and it's fresh and there's there's this idea and we could talk about it i mean there's a part of knowing one of the things i, I love about unlocking and getting in recovery is is understanding my intuition and letting that knowing have more of an impact on things instead of trying to be up here all the time. And the reason it's challenging is because it challenges your whole belief system. We have this idea of this the persona of George, which has to do with with all of my memories and and my view of things and myself, my experiences and my relationships. And that was then. You know, so anytime we think about the past or the future, we're doing it in the moment. But in the moment, that's all we have. And when I when I think about it, so it's challenging because I had this idea of how I was, how things were supposed to be. And I realized that that's one view. Mm. There's another view. <laughs> and so now you're getting into what um, Soren Kierkegaard calls the alarming possibility of being able. Mm. He said one side of the coin, like I have a quarter here. One side of the coin is heads, so that's freedom, you know, freedom of choice, being spontaneous, whatever. And the other side is tails. The other side is uncertainty um, and anxiety. Mm. So anytime, this is my experience, but this is what Eric Fromm said. He said, anytime you change a pattern, whether it's brushing teeth the time you go to sleep or whatever, it immobilizes anxieties. And so there's anxieties that are part of life, like the other side of the coin. And then the, then the way we relate to it or try to repress it or deny it, it can become neuro, neurotic or psychotic. But the reality is neurosis is when we don't accept things and we're not able to see clearly that the best antidote for mental clarity or mental health is being able to see things and accept them as they are, to be able to see clearly and not interpret what the, the meaning is or anything but to just let the thing itself speak to you in its own language. And so there's an ability to see things in fresh and new ways and, and not being attached to it being based on what we already know versus mm -hmm. being able to see the thing uh, T.S. Eliot talked about to explore and then to arrive where you started and to see the place for the first time. Mm. I love that. I love your pickup on freedom. So often when people talk about unlock moments, they talk about in different ways, but a profound sense of freedom, freedom to think or freedom to choose or freedom to act, freedom to get it wrong as well as to get it right. And I know you've written about freedom is a state of mind. It's a choice. Yes. <laughs> when I was in college, uh, and I excuse my language, but there was a title of a song, Free Your Mind and Your Ass Will Follow. <laughs> you know, so anything begins with the mind. So when the mind is right, everything else is right. So when we're in prison, when we're locked up, it's an internal state. It's an inability to see possibility where we're in, you know, we're just focused. And this is what they call the broaden and build theory, that when you are at positive, then your cognitive functioning, your ability to see clearly, to think, and, and to be able to see things in a way where you can learn from them or to realize that you have different ways of looking at things. And so you start experimenting it. So you're not looking at it the same way, because if you look at it the same way, you're going to keep seeing the same thing. Mm. So this is ability to open it up. But once again, when you do that, there's, there's uncertainty, there's 
anxiety that's mobilized. Mm-hmm. And then the idea is we got to move through it, just recognize it as a natural occurrence. They come together. Once you accept it, it's not a problem. I know you've done a lot of work in the prison system. What do you learn from the people that you worked with there around these ideas of, of mindfulness and freedom? Yes. So when I first uh, talks in the meditation center, when they started allowing me to speak, my first talk was freedom as a frame of mind. So I saw people in prison and of course we can go back. I mean, it's interesting because uh, you got Nelson Mandela, uh, you got Malcolm X, you got a bunch of other people that have been in prison and they use it as a laboratory and wrote books and been able to do things. And, and Malcolm X realized that, you know, prison was a frame of mind and I could see inmates that were in there doing double life, whatnot, but they were freer than the people out here. They didn't have liberty, but they had the freedom to focus on, to imagine whatever they wanted to and to make whatever they were doing, uh, do it with a purpose so that they were actually um, feeling like they were part of a whole, something greater than, than themselves. Mm-hmm. And then you have people out here that have liberty, but they're not free because they're stuck in their views and opinions or their memories or their uh, conditioning, their habits of mind. And that's the main thing that frees us up. We have habits. Like I like to talk about the idea of the the Cherokee story of the two wolves, one we'll call fear and the other one we'll call love. When the grandfather talks to his grandson about it and he says, not only is this battle happening inside of me, but it's happening inside of you and everyone else. And the grandson got really concerned and he said, which one will win? And the grandfather said, the one that we feed. So a big part of what we need to do is understanding when we're feeding the fear wolf and when we're feeding the love wolf. And so if we want the love wolf to win, then we got to feed that. So there's a lot of people that are feeding the fear wolf. When you're in the feeding the fear wolf, it's going to lead to suffering. So you found yourself working with some of the greatest basketball players that ever lived. What was your role? What was it that you were bringing to, to what they were doing? This idea of being yourself and not being your authentic self and sharing yourself. So I would say, the process really comes down to helping them know this, themselves so they can be themselves, so they can express themselves, so they can share themselves. And so there's a relationship between being authentically your unique, you know, coming out of your own unique potentialities, but being who you are, your unique self, in a world where everybody's trying to tell you who you should be or who they want you to be that it takes a lot just to be able to say, I'm going to be me and I'm going to embrace my greatness, find the flow and discover success. That's what it comes down to. So that's pretty much what I do with everybody is just to help them embrace their greatness and find the flow. Because everybody has a your own rhythm of life, you know, what you call biorhythms, whatever you want to call it. We all have a inner process that's appropriate for us, you know, a pace. And, and, and that's why I say, you know, you got to know yourself. You, you got to really know, well, what, what do you do? How do you need to do it? So I offer principles and concepts, but the encouragement is you got to find your way, how you need to do it. And that's why one size doesn't fit all, but that's how we teach. And, and when we know something, we want people to emulate that. Or you can emulate the success, but how you express it has to be your own version of yourself. And for a long time, I was guilty of, Comparing 
Kobe to Michael and saying the first thing I noticed was Kobe is the closest thing to MJ. And then at some point getting to a point where I said, no, Kobe's his own thing, man. He's, you know, and I didn't, you know, and I kind of knew, but he was getting mentoring from, you think about it, what does Kobe and Michael have in common? Besides some of the traits they have. I say Phil Jackson, Tex Runners, myself, and some other folks, and then folks they had in their life, but, but they're, you know, and I was Dr. J's my roommate in college. So you think about the lineage of Dr. J, MJ, and Kobe, and then further on, Camilla Anthony. I mean, I mean, it's no accidents, but it's the same drill. And sometimes some people can, can get it and take it. Sometimes it's, I'm just planting a seed. And then at some point, They'll get. I can't tell you how many student athletes and other people I work with, professionals, come back to me 10, 15 years later and say, yeah, you know, I didn't get what you were teaching me. And for the most part, I was immature. I couldn't get it. Or for whatever reason, I wasn't ready. But now I'm ready. And I really appreciate you. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate what you, what you taught me. So it doesn't matter if you're MJ or Kobe. It's everybody. You know, I say everybody has... Potential, you got to be yourself. Will you be like MJ and Kobe? No, but do you have a, a masterpiece like they do? Yes. Do you have a commitment to develop that and to access it? That's different. Mm. But if you do that, then you're going to have an amazing life. That's really powerful. I know you talk about pure performance instead of peak performance. So, what, what's pure performance in, in your vernacular? My cow chick sent me high called it the autotelic personality. So what does that mean? So autotelic means you do the activity for the activity in and of itself. There's an intrinsic value of just showing up and doing your best and expressing it. So when you're doing pure performance, you're not doing it out of fear or desire. This is what Joseph Kimmel talked about. You're coming from that place of rest. You're coming out of your center. You're doing it when you're in championship form. You come where you're just in the activity in and of itself, just being in a moment and expressing itself. So you're not focused on winning, you're focused on expressing yourself honestly in the moment to the best of your ability based on what's there and not worrying about the results. Because once again, when you're in flow, there's no, how am I doing? It's all about, it's like, you're just there, no self-consciousness, time goes away. It's just being in that flow of the moment and just allowing things being able to read the situation or just really find out like it's like in the river. Okay. I'm over here, but the current is over here. I just need to get into the current and let the current take me. So that's why I say embrace your greatness and find the flow. When I talk about flow, it's not just a flow of life, but it's your flow. It's your rhythm. It's your, the speed that you need to go at based on what your, what's coming out of your, your authenticity, your sincerity. And so we're all different. We're all unique. So you got to find your own rhythm, your own flow, and then stay in it. Don't let somebody pull you out of it. When you think back over all the great players, all the great sports people you've ever worked with, is there anyone that stands out for you and you say, that was the, the greatest player I ever worked with? There's something that, that makes somebody particularly great. Yeah, there's a lot of people, but the, the two that stand out really are MJ and Kobe. And it's interesting because I remember asking myself the question, 
are they coachable and teachable because they're great or are they are they great because they're coachable and teachable? And I think there's some combination and I think it's not. See, we have this idea that we like to make these blanket statements and we get focused on the content and not realizing the context is the whole thing. So in a different context, it can be different. You can meet somebody when they're really open and you can meet somebody when they're really closed. And so my experience with them is that they took everything that I offered. They took what they like and left the rest, but there was a willingness to have honestly open-mindedness and willingness. So being honest about whether or not you're open to it, whether or not, like they were pursuing excellence. And it's, is that pursuit, it's that willingness to be uncomfortable, the willingness to be comfortable being uncomfortable, willingness to mobilize anxieties and, and move through them because you're, you're in that alarming possibility of being able. And so most people retract from that because it's unpleasant. You move towards something that's pleasant, moves away from something that's unpleasant. And if it's neither pleasant or unpleasant, where there's indifference, there's no goal where there's no intention, then you space out. And that's when the mind is dull. There's nothing interesting in it. So to do things, you got to have interest. You got to have curiosity. And so we have this ability. We have autonomy, even though we may not use it. But we have autonomy and we have this ability to direct our attention to something. And usually, if you can do an experiment, if you don't know what your intention is, follow your attention. Because your attention follows your intention. Now I'm talking about unconsciously, which is probably 90% of it. 10% is, you know, you have an intention. You think you know about it. But it's that, that understanding that, yeah, we have this ability to choose. We can direct. And, and the thing is, being masterpieces, we manifest what we hold in mind. We become what we think about. So just think about it. All day long, these thoughts... And then we allowing certain thoughts to be there that's taking us places we may not want to go, or we're going to be willing to actually observe our thoughts and say, yeah, this thought is feeding the fear wolf. No, I don't want to do that. Or maybe I do want to do that. I want to be afraid. You said at the beginning that we find clarity in the reflection. When you look back through your journey, do you think that you needed, this will sound a bit odd, but do you think you needed to go on that personal journey? Of, of, of the descent and then the, the recovery to be able to do the work that you do today? Yes. This is the amazing thing. It's through difficulty. Joseph Campbell said it in another way. He said, where your pain is is where your life is. And Robert Frost said it. He said, the only way out is always through. So just think about that. You do coaching, I do coaching. What do we do? Okay, whatever's in the way, we, we have to say, okay, we have to work through it. We can't just ignore it, press it down. It becomes, you know, it becomes our stepping stone. It becomes how we level up. We fail up. So it's by embracing it, learning from it, that we're able to, to move to the next level. So without the, the difficulty, the adversity, you know, you get bored. And that's the thing about being in flow. You get the flow and then flow becomes normalized. And then your brain develops a groove, so then it stops firing. So you have to increase your challenges and increase your skills and all the examples. So it's a step function, and you keep doing like that. So, so that's why I say one of the things I say in the Mindful Athlete that's really important is 
you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Do you have a view of a legacy that you want to leave? Yes. I want to be able to help each and every human being at any time, any place unlock and to release a masterpiece. That's the legacy I, I, I want to leave is uh, knowing that, that, you know, what I did, I hallowed. Now, the word hallowed means to make holy, right? To remind people to have a masterpiece within and that we need them to develop that and share it with the rest of us. But that's the legacy is, you know, anything else that, you know, it's not what you do, what people say. You have this potentiality inside of you that you only you can unlock and develop. Amazing. How can people find out more about you and the work that you do? Yeah, so they can go to my website, georgemonfort.com. And uh, yeah, that's a good place. But if they Google me, I mean, there's so much stuff out there. My friend Roland, I talked to uh, just this morning. Uh, he was teaching at uh, VTech. He was teaching a writing course. And it's when we first started getting cell phones and stuff. And so I went to class with him because I was hanging out with him. And his, his students had to interview me. So I didn't even know what Google was. They had to go on Google and find out all this stuff. And I said, dang, all that stuff about me. I had no idea. But it's, you know, I have a YouTube channel and, you know, social media. You know, I'm on Facebook and Instagram and um, Twitter. Uh, so, yeah, so all of that stuff. But mainly you go to the website. And, you know, georgemonfort.com and there's programs, you know, uh, that are available. And also, I just love to hear from people, you know, what they're excited about, what they're challenged by and being able to offer some some guidance or some ideas of how we can we can take that journey of discovery together. Fantastic. The Unlock Moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. For world-leading performance and mindfulness coach George Mumford, it was getting clean after using and abusing drugs that set him on his mission to teach and work with others across the whole of society on a journey to pure performance and mindfulness. Check out his latest book, Unlocked, Embrace Your Greatness, Find the Flow, Discover Success, on Amazon and at all great bookstores. George, thank you so much for sharing your story and your message and for joining me today on the Unlock Moment. I'm going to call you Dr. G, if you don't mind. I got a Dr. J, and now I got a Dr. G. I appreciate you. <laughs> it's great to have you on today, George. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, well, thank you. It's it a lot of fun. I learned a lot today. This has been the Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotez. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset. Find me on Instagram at Dr. Gary Crotez and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Most listeners to this podcast on Apple and Spotify haven't yet hit the follow button. If there's one thing you can do right now to help me out, then please click the follow button. The more followers I have, the better guests I can attract for you to learn from. Thanks again for listening and join me again soon here on The Unlock Moment.